0: Breathing in diesel exhaust fumes is like walking into a fire without a mask. Over time, those toxins lead to cancer. Protect yourself with MagnaGrip, the easiest, most reliable exhaust removal system that features a true 100% seal to eliminate diesel exhaust fumes. To get free grant assistance, visit MagnaGrip.com and find them at FDIC at booth 2540. This podcast is brought to you by Flex 7 from Tencada Protective Fabrics. Like a trusted turnout jacket you've had for years, Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric delivers a perfectly broken in feel on the very first wear. Flexible, comfortable, and powered with the strength of enforced technology, Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric is made to move. To learn more, visit TencadaFabrics.com slash Flex 7. Flex 7, powered by Enforced Technology. Only from Tencada Protective Fabrics. TheFireStore.com. Equipping protectors with passion. That's how they operate, and it's how they live. They understand that having the right gear can mean the difference between life and death. Their goal is to get you the gear you need when you need it at prices you can afford. Visit them at FDIC at Boots 110 and 111. Hi, this is Dr. Murphy. And um, this is Firefighter Behavioral Health. So I am on my own this evening. My uh, usual uh, dashboard operator is in North Carolina right now visiting his uh, daughters. So so here I am, have to do it all. <laughs> it's, uh, if you've heard me do this before on my own, you know that I don't particularly like it. Um, So, it's nice to have another person, um, at the very least, to operate the dashboard. Although, not like it's really that difficult. But um, he does occasionally throw in his two cents, which is kind of nice. Um, There are a few times I probably would have liked him to not put in his two cents. But um, it's, uh, it's just nice to have another person. So um as usual, I <laughs> I've been thinking about what do I talk about? And thinking about, well, what have I talked about? Um, what do people need to hear about? What is what is the big questions uh facing us now? And um And I've had a number of uh, answers to those pondering questions, and um, it still came down to I'm here to do my show and not quite sure what exactly I'm going to talk about. So um, so with that said, you know, one of the things that I was thinking is it would be nice to hear from people. Um, I would love to know... What your questions are, and um, you know if if I've presented things that have helped you or just you know, made you have more questions. Um, and And if I haven't addressed something, so um, I sometimes forget to give my contact information, but anybody who would like to uh, contact me, like after you've listened to this show, um you can email me at beth at integrativemhw.com um, or my my I could give you like my office number is 425-281-7977 so um feel free to uh, contact me and just you know let me know um if you have questions you have um suggestions for what I should Cover in my shows um, that would be greatly appreciated. Um, so I think one of the things that I've I've wanted to talk about um, is um, the idea of a moral injury. Um, now I I have introduced um, the concept of moral injury to uh, some of my clients that I work with, and um, and I <clears throat> had done some reading, and and it's a, a term that has shown up in the military. Um, you know, like what they were finding is that they were doing um, various treatments with uh, soldiers, and and they weren't getting better like they were expecting. And so, what they came to understand is that these soldiers were suffering moral injury. And so, you know, that made me curious. And so I read about that and I was like, oh, this seems to fit. And and so it's been something that I've um, talked about, like in my uh, therapy sessions and that I've thought about and read about. And and I cannot remember how it came to my attention, but uh, somehow <laughs> I I came across Um, Jeff Dill and uh, he had written he wrote a white paper with um, so Firefighter Behavioral Health Alliance and Jeff Dill is the founder um, for anybody that doesn't know and he had written a white paper with um, a um, staff chaplain um, and I um I really don't want to try this guy's name cuz it is um looks like a tongue twister here. Um Mark is his first name and his last name initial is S. So I'm going to leave it at that. And um and then uh, Elizabeth Anderson Fletcher who's a PhD. Um and and Mark is a, has a masters in divinity it looks like. Um and so he is part of the Road Home Program, the National Center of Excellence for Veterans and Families at Rush. And um, and then Dr. Anderson Fletcher is, um, well, it looks like she's associated with the University of Houston, and a captain, safety officer, and chaplain with Cypress Creek Fire Department. Um Harris County. So uh, anyway, they wrote a paper together and, and it's on moral injury. And so I had just skimmed it through it and I thought this is pretty timely. Um, so I'm glad that he put it out there. Um, I think that it is an issue that is in the current fire service. I think that it it is more of an issue um people are struggling a lot from things that they don't they don't feel like they have control over um and so and, and i think that that's one of the areas where where we start to see moral injury um so they this white paper it looks like that they um i don't know if they did the study or um i think they did um so they did a study you know, they surveyed 479 firefighters across nine fire EMS agencies, and they used a moral injury outcome. Um, and so it looks like 57.6% reported having experienced a morally injurious event, um, such as, and these are the, some of the examples in the paper, um, mass shootings, car accidents, injured children, evidence of abuse, um, or their own failure to call out colleagues making mistakes on the job. Um, and, then, um, and then they allowed some write-in comments um, that indicated themes related to, like, management, leadership failures, toxic organizational culture, lack of access to mental health resources, and adverse working conditions um, caused by personnel shortages, Abuse of the 911 system for non emergency medical calls and department policies. So these were all write ins. <clears throat> um, and then they also, um, let's see, so and then, it, and then a third of the sample responded affirmatively to items from the primary care PTSD screen for DSM-5. Um, and then Let's see, regarding uh, so for nightmares, intrusive thoughts, avoidance, hypervigilance, and guilt. And about half of the sample responded affirmatively to questions about detachment and isolation. Um, And then they went on further to say that their results suggested that the that firefighters may not understand the definition of moral injury, uh, nor its distinction from PTSD. Um, so, um, a firefighter may uh, recognize that they're struggling with PTSD or um, PTS. Let's say PTSs. <laughs> so symptoms. Maybe they don't meet the full criteria for disorder, but but do have some of the symptoms. Um, and and so there's um, this idea like moral moral injury is something that um is i mean it could be present um as part of uh the P- PTSD presentation um but not seen as a thing in and of itself and that's why i'm saying that the like the military recognized that there was this whole other like thing that um, seemed to be interfering in like soldiers getting healthy and um and that was something that I was seeing in a lot of the firefighters that I talked with I mean whether I was treating them or having a discussion with them um, it that just it it seemed to be this thing, and it wasn't until I came across the the research um, and writings uh, done by the v a that I actually started to have a name for it. And so I started to search more and more for it. And, um, you know, before I came across uh, the um, Firefighter Behavioral Health Alliance white paper, um, I had seen, um, I think, one, two two other articles, two other research. Um, One was specific to firefighters, and then the other one was, um, like frontline, uh, frontline emergency workers. So that um, included, you know, police, fire, and then also um, emergency room um, docs and nurses. So staff in the emergency room. So anyway, so you may be asking yourself, well, what is moral injury? Um, so, um. Yeah. So what is it? I mean, what is what what is it to you? So if you're listening to this, it's like just take a moment and think about like what what would moral injury be? Um I think people know what morals are and they know what their own morals are and um and so in that sense you have some understanding of, of that of of morals morality. And so, well, what does it it mean to have a moral injury? (laughs) Um, And so, uh, I will tell you. um, So, you think about what it means to you, and then I'm going to tell you um, how it was defined in the paper. So, um, moral injury is... um, well, let's see. So um, moral injury is the damage done to one's conscience or moral compass when that person perpetrates, witnesses, or fails to prevent acts that transgress one's own moral beliefs, values, or ethical codes of conduct. Um, so it it can be those things that um, you witness and. Uh, it makes you a little uncomfortable (laughs) or it can make you extremely uncomfortable and it often leaves you feeling helpless. Like what, what could I do? I should have done something Um, or how could that have happened or something along those lines. Um, So it, it is, um, it's something where you've either um, you know been been part of um or or witnessed and and then that can create a dissonance and a conflict and um because it is at odds with what your assumptions and beliefs are um, and we don't often think about our assumptions and beliefs. Um, you know they're constantly there. Uh, at that unconscious level um, and, and our values and we're, we we kind of operate from that and we don't often bring them to light, bring them to consciousness to think about them. Um, so when this, this kind of thing happens, then um, it's not always clear that that's where it's coming from. Um, so I would say that Um, Just as a personal rule is that when you find yourself uncomfortable with the situation, the call, um, whatever it is, questioning yourself, then that might be a good cue to ask yourself, you know, what, what was it that happened? And then what are your beliefs and your values? And um, and that might help you identify if this is something that's getting into that moral injury range. Um, so some, um, some examples of this um, is, well, let's see, first off, before I go into that, let's say like in a general sense is that the individual who is um, st- starting to struggle with a moral injury, Will experience some level of guilt, shame, anxiety, um, and uh, and then may develop um, like frequent intrusion. so you could think of like um, ruminations, like constantly thinking like what if, um, and then avoidance behaviors. Um, as human beings, we approach what we what feels good and we avoid what doesn't feel good. Um, And so this very premise um, that underlies moral injury is that this does not feel good and it makes it really difficult to face it. So um, some specific examples um, that, um, that they cited in this article are things like a firefighter witnessing bullying of a rookie on the job and saying nothing. Um, And so not saying anything, he's upset uh, the rest of the shift, and questioning why he didn't step up and say something, and then continues to be ashamed even after a shift is over. Um, Another one, a paramedic is directed by a supervisor to provide treatment to a patient that goes against what she believes to be medically appropriate. And in that instance, feels betrayed by management. Um, fire crew on a hose line is instructed to evacuate and go defensive, uh, but the primary search team has not yet confirmed whether there are victims or patients in the structure. The lieutenant, who is with a rookie firefighter on the hose line, disagrees with the call and feels conflicted. Um, An EMT is forced to work overtime and foregoes vacation days due to staffing shortages. Um, she may already be having marital problems and now has to tell her husband that she has to cancel vacation plans yet again. And she's starting to feel burned out and resent management. Uh, another one, a firefighter feels guilty for having an affair, but he can't seem to end the relationship. His wife leaves him and takes the two young children. He feels betrayed by both his family and his unselfish actions. A firefighter paramedic suffers her sixth pediatric death this year, and she begins to feel helpless and question whether her training has been a waste of time. Um, so it, it, you probably, it, from that, I'm sure you, you get the idea. And I imagine that as I read these, you were probably thinking of your own uh, instances where uh, you felt that, that, that dissonance, that tension. Um, because of something that occurred. Um, I can tell you that, you know, in my area, so I'm in Washington State. Um, I've heard a lot about, um, you know, like the, the vaccine mandate. Um, I've heard that a lot. Um, that was a really huge issue. And especially, I mean, I know like anybody in the fire service has experienced this no matter where you are. But that, like, forced a lot of people out of the fire service. And that meant that the people that stayed worked a lot. <laughs> and um, and so there was a lot of resentment. Um, you know, the fire service is an, is an organization, a job that we often think about as, you know, this is, this is my family. Oh. And there's a trust that, you know, the people you're working with will have your back, but that extends um, out to, um, you know, the, office, the officers, chief officers, and, you know, the department itself is, like, there's this expectation that they will have your back. And <clears throat> there are many things that occur that undermine that belief. Um so when I'm thinking about this, too, I I immediately think about why people go into the fire service. So if you think about, like, why, like, why did you enter the fire service? Um, almost everybody will answer, well, I want to help people. I mean, and there might be other reasons, but, you know, it seems like that, that one reason, I, I want to help people. Um, seems to resonate with, you know, most most firefighter I've ever talked with, and and myself as well. Um, that was part of the reason why I became a firefighter, um, and the money, too, for me. I thought it was a lot of money at the time, so uh, for me that was that was great. Um. So it's like if you got into the fire service to help people, then it feels bad when you are going on calls repeatedly to people that don't seem to want your help. Um, and, and here, and I know for many areas, this would also be true, is that there you know, is a large homeless population. And, um, and part of that is that there is a large number of people who use and abuse drugs. And, um, and so I've heard many stories from um, fire, um, you know, the firefighter EMTs and the paramedics of how they're going to the same person multiple times throughout the night and having to administer Narcan. And, um, you know, yeah, maybe three or four times they're waking up the same person. And, um, and then that person comes up, like, swinging <laughs> Um, and and so to be when you're doing that over and over and over again then it gets to be like well why why bother you know I'm not helping Um, and then you start to look at um, how you know the larger uh, like the city starts to handle like how is the city handling this homeless problem, this drug problem. And um, I think the one thing that everybody agrees on is that not enough is being done and and the right things aren't being done. And and I'll be honest with you, it's like, I don't really know what the right thing is. Um, You know, I was always taught as part of my, um, well, my coursework, my supervision, um, Every aspect of, of my, you know, getting my psychology degree, it was to meet the person where they are, and um, and sometimes that means that you're interacting with somebody and trying to help them at a time where they're not quite ready, and um, and I I don't know if any of you are familiar with the five, it's like the five. Stages of change, um, you know. It's like if you're seeing people on the street overdosing, it's like they they're not even aware they have a problem, um, and so it means that you're you're going to someone that that hasn't even started in stage one. So, um, you know. So, and if you're uh, not sure of it. If you've never heard of this, um, the, the model that, that I refer to, the five stages of change is um, stage one, which is pre-contemplation, stage two, contemplation, stage three, preparation um, or uh, determination, stage four, uh, action, and stage five, maintenance. Um, and so, I mean, you're seeing people on the street that are nowhere near wanting to make change. Um, so, well, I guess, I like I said, they're at stage zero, but I guess like the pre-contemplation stage, um, they're not yet acknowledging that there's a problem behavior that needs to be changed. So, that's probably who you're seeing on the street. Um, so, it, you know, so it's like when you're responding to people that don't even know that they need help or want help and that's what you're doing repeatedly and you're not seeing any solution, then that can become uh, disillusioning. And so that and that's one thing that I've heard over and over again. And then if if by chance someone that you've responded to frequently ends up dying then um, that can that can be accompanied by some mixed feelings. And, and, you know, it's like at one level, you don't, you know, you don't want to care. It's like, well, that person was doing it to themselves. But it often is at odds with who you are at your core because you got into the fire service to help people. And so that um, dissonance can create a lot of, of tension and um and and make you feel like you, you know, you're not being part of the solution and and you don't know what the solution is i mean it's like it's me it's like i i admit it i don't i don't know what to do about that particular problem um i i have some ideas and think a lot of people would support it um, but it's something that, you know, research says that this could be helpful, um, but it doesn't always, it it doesn't, um, it's at, I guess it's at odds with how people often view uh, the, like the addiction problem, and that is, well, they just need to quit, um, but there's like, A lot is, there's a lot that needs to happen before they get to that point. And so, um, you know, my view on it is that we need to uh, deal with those earlier things um, before we can get to the, okay, now we can help them stop. Um, So uh, anyway, but it's like, I'm not here to solve that problem, (laughs) but I can I can feel that sense of helplessness a little bit when it comes to that. Um, and I can't imagine um, what that would be like to be a firefighter or a paramedic going to those types of calls every day, multiple times, even to the same person. Um, when I was a firefighter, it's like that was not a big part of our call volume. Um, there are many departments that have mandatory overtime, Um I know so I I um am the uh behavioral health program manager at the um Seattle Fire Station 2 clinic. And um <clears throat> and I know that uh Seattle right now does not have mandatory overtime, um, although I think someone told me the paramedics do, but the firefighters don't. But there's peer pressure. Um and, and I've heard it from them and I've heard it from other departments where there is a personnel shortage that um, it's really difficult to take time off to take care of yourself um, when, it, you know, the people you're working with are stepping up and working overtime and burning themselves out. And so it feels bad to take time off. And so then, you know, So you work overtime, (laughs) Um, but you're working overtime and burning yourself out. Um, So, uh, and and if you choose not to, then there still can be guilt for that. Um, I think pretty much every firefighter I've ever talked to has um, expressed some version of how difficult it is to take care of themselves because it feels selfish. so you know it's like you help people you don't need help and so that also means acknowledging that that you need to take time for yourself too um i think anytime there are um any any calls regardless of what the call is, where um, there's a, a life safety issue, um, because there's such this, such a um, drive to want to help people and, 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 and even, um, you know, go so far as to say, well, doing my job, um, that, you know, the idea of having to back out of a fire, um, like the example that was given here, that would not resonate well with you um, because it's like that's not, that's not the, the job. It's not your job to back out of a fire. You're, you're trained to go into fires. Um, that saying, you know, fight like you train and train like you fight. So um, when you're forced to do something different um, and against what you believed your job to be, then that will create some dissonance as well. Um, and, you know, being a helper, that kind of goes against your core. Um, I think, um, you know, repeated calls, and again, it's like you could talk about, like, the um, the homeless problem, the drug problem, um, but having those repeated calls and, and being helpless to change what you're, you know, what you're going to. Um, I think some some firefighters would say it's like they're not even throwing a Band-Aid on the problem. And, um, and that is not what they train for. Um, I know that um, in, uh, I'm not, I'm not sure in, well, no, it, in several departments, actually, Um, I've heard uh, stories about uh, going on calls and having you know knives pulled on you, um, being shot at, being assaulted—things um, that uh, you know years years ago uh, would have been rare—but it seems like it's more of a common occurrence now, and that can um, make people feel really helpless, especially if they don't see that the um, the administration and and the city or the county are doing things to protect them um, and so sometimes it can seem like the wrong people are being protected and and maybe that's true um, but maybe that's the perception uh, so I, I don't know all the situations um, I just you know, know i you know i listen to what people are talking about and where they're having issues um and i do know that one of the things that i hear over and over and over again is that the fire service isn't the same as what it was and i know that from you know my husband um he got into the fire service um long before I even considered anything about the fire service. Um, But it was, you know, he got in, he says like, when you just needed to have a pulse (laughs) and, um, and it was, it was a different, it was different. I mean, the stories he told me, the, um, the pranks that they played on each other, the harmless planks pranks, of course, um, the calls that they went on. um, It was, you know, they pretty much were doing what the job was described for them, for what they would be doing. Um, When I got into the fire service, um, I had an, an idea in my head that it was going to be similar to what my husband experienced. And so that was something that created, um, some cognitive dissonance for me. And, and that was that the fire service wasn't what I was expecting in in some ways. It was in some ways and it wasn't in other ways. And, um, and so I remember not being happy and actually considering quitting. And I had to think about, um, you know, why I got in and what it was that I wanted. And I really had to, Come to terms with the fact that what I expected was not what the fire service was, and, and I'm not saying that what I expected was even realistic. I mean, I think in some sense there were aspects of it that that was, um, but there were some aspects of it that that wasn't. It was, you know, kind of my expectation built on stories, and the stories were, you know, like I said, from my husband, from you know years before so fire service has has changed and it continues to change <clears throat> or I should say the 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 calls and the demand of the fire service has changed um the fire service in and of itself i think is slow to change so um you know that creates a a big difference and I've been hearing a lot about what people expected the fire service to be and then kind of getting slapped in the face with the reality and some of it was about this expectation and some may have been unrealistic Um, but there is definitely truth in the fact that that the fire service um, or the types of calls have changed Um, and and like I said, like in many places, the um, uh, drug use and homelessness, it has been a huge problem. Um, so, um, and so firefighters are going out and feeling like they're going on these calls and that they're not prepared. They're not making a difference and they're not supported. And so that is a, a great recipe for moral injury. Um, because while experiencing all that, they're also going to the things that they were trained for, Um, you know, fires, car accidents, rescues, um, CPRs, um, traumas. And so, um, and then on top of that, then they have their home life. And so it's like, they're getting inundated with a lot of different stressors and then, and then having these situations where they feel like they have very little control, which is, I think, I think from personally and what I've been hearing is actually really hard for firefighters to accept. Um, so, uh, you know, they're used to, they're used to helping, they want to help. They want to have control. They want to know what to do. And then they're finding themselves in situations where they don't. Um, So, so it's like, okay, so what do we do with this? (laughs) Like, so let's say that you, you know, you accept this idea of moral injury. You know, it's like, what do you, what do you do about it? Um, I think one of the first things is to is to be realistic about about the job that you're doing, Um, be realistic about what you're getting into. Um, The stories that we hear are stories um, and and they're not always reality. Um, I mean, sometimes, yes, there are real stories that are shared, uh, good and bad, Um, but there's a lot that is um true for one person but isn't true for another um so you know it's like so you know what do you do with that um so it's it's recognizing the reality of the job that you're getting into um and what kinds of supports are going to be in place um so that, and that could be, that can be difficult. <laughs> um, so, um, well, I guess that was like kind of one thing. So it's like, take, take stock of like the, the reality. Um, and if you're feeling uncomfortable, then there may be, there may be some distance between um, your expectations or the, um, the ideal of where you're at and the reality of where you're at. And so that discomfort is a sign for you to ask some questions, Um, which means that you have to kind of lean into the discomfort and, I and there's a lot of sources of that, so and it's something I've talked about before, um, you know in dealing with like all the stressors that you face from you know your personal life through your work life. Um, you know it's like if you're constantly stu- stuffing things down and not dealing with it because it's uncomfortable, um, then it will build up and and eventually you're not going to be able to carry it. So um, I always think of, when I think of this, I always think of the the saying, the only way out is through, and, and so that means that you have to face these, like, uncomfortable, painful things, and, uh, and that actually is against our innate survival mechanism, because our survival mechanism tells us to avoid, <laughs> so... You know so if you're avoiding you're not really doing anything wrong, but you're gonna want to um, take stock of that and um, kind of force yourself out of your your comfort zone and um into an uncomfortable place um, so I guess it I feel like I might have gone off on a tangent just a little bit um, but I think um you know, bottom line is nobody thinks about moral injury. Um, It has a huge adverse impact and it, it, and it can snowball Um, and, and it is, you know, it can, it can lead to burnout PTSD and um, well, and moral injury. Um, So it's um, and that's often why it, it's, part of, I don't don't know if I want to say, like, part of PTSD. I mean, most often people with more injury do get diagnosed with PTSD. Um, So it's um, something that is, as they said in the paper, so I'm going to say what it is because I like the way it was put, it's rooted in emotions and beliefs. Um, And so... (laughs) We know how well firefighters like to do emotions. So, and I and I say that, and I'm kind of chuckling with that. Um, I've had more firefighters come into my office and tell me I'm not talking about my emotions. So, um, so I know I know how much you all want to delve into your emotions. Um, <clears throat> so, let's see. Um, okay. So then I'm just kind of looking through the I had skimmed the the paper earlier and so um they're you know, they talk through like what they did, what their method was and then the results. Um and um and then you know, well the results and then they um talk about like how that makes sense. So um but it's it's interesting because like i you know immediately kind of when i was skimming it landed on a few things where um you know they talked about like the cult- cultural problem in the fire service and i think that that's you know part of what i talked about a little bit earlier in you know that expectation that this is going to be like a family and that they're going to have you back you're back and um and that's not really what people are finding and so they're, you know, developing a mistrust. Um, and, you know, sometimes it may be deserved and other times it may be, you know, kind of the, that the circumstances and the buildup of um, the, all the traumatic stressors. Um, it also, I think that this is a, is a big issue is, um, you know, not until fairly recently have people really wanted to talk about, like, mental health and emotions, except for the few that come into my office and tell me they don't want to talk about it? Um, and I, I joke. It's like, they start out that way, but they always end up talking about it. Um, you know, so it is a, it's a culture where, you know, we're not, we're not supposed to do emotions. Um, uh, there is still a stigma around mental health. Um, And so it's like struggling can be a source of shame. Um, And depending on what that, you know, what led to that struggle, you know, that's that's why we start to see, like, um, post-traumatic stress symptoms and and where you might start to see some moral injury. Um, You don't go into the fire service because you feel helpless. And and that's something that starts to show up when you're going repeatedly to the same things and not making a difference, um, or you're seeing things done or not done to make a difference. <clears throat> um, so, uh, I, so I think like the problem the problem can lie in the culture in and of itself, and you know it's like maybe because the you know the people that are running the fire departments you know it's like they they are firefighters at a different time <laughs> i mean the fire service that my husband was in is vastly different than the fire service that i was in which i'm recognizing is is vastly different than what the fire service is now and um it's like <laughs> Pretty much everybody would do well to have a psychological degree of some sort. It might be helpful <laughs> so um, um so you know like what other what other issues might might you see um, now, I'm not sure if that if you're get- i hopefully you're getting a sense of of this idea of moral injury. Um, I think it can be um, kind of abstract, um, but it, it basically is anything that is not in line with your core beliefs and your values. Um, and I know several um, people have talked about their departments where they don't even think their department is um, adhering to their own core values. Which, of course, that made me go, oh, but what are the core values of some of the departments around here? Um, so, if you're listening, hopefully you are, uh, do you know what your department's core values are? Do you know your mission statement, the vision, and the core values of your department? I know when I was a firefighter, I I learned those because I had to, but I never the importance of it was just kind of lost on me until I was out of the fire service. And then, and then as I was learning, you know, more about psychology and, um, and then, you know, setting up a practice and all that stuff, then it was like, Oh, now I get it. (laughs) Now I understand. And, and so I think if you're feeling if you're feeling uh, lost in your department, if you're feeling that tension, that cognitive dissonance, um, if you're questioning what difference you're making, then it might be a good time to, like, look at your department's website and find find their core values. Um, so, so I was a firefighter with Bellevue, so I just went and I looked at Bellevue. And um and and I imagine that yours probably says something similar. And it's you know like the mission statement is provide exceptional customer service, uphold the public interest, and advance the community vision. Um, okay, that sounds good. Uh and then uh, I'm like, okay, well what exactly does that mean? Um the vision, um be a collaborative and innovative organization that is future focused and committed to excellence. Okay, oh, that's good. There's something to strive for. And then the core values. Um, and so use um, does the five essential and enduring principles that guide our individual actions, our interactions, and our decision making is exceptional public service. which I get that, you know, be the be the best that you can be at your job, stewardship. Um, and I guess that makes sense because to me that means, you know, taking care of, um, you know, not just each other, but the, you know, the department, the city, the community, <laughs> um, it's something like that it probably means something a little different than that. Commitment to employees Um, and so that's good. But I also know there are a lot of departments where they're like, well, that's not happening. Um, There are a lot of people in the fire service that don't feel like they're being cared for by their departments. It may have, it probably started to happen before COVID, but I know that the vaccine mandate really, seemed to underscore that sentiment and and people were really feeling like they they're not cared for. And um and there could be other reasons as well, but that was a big one and it was pretty obvious. Um integrity and innovation. And I was like, ooh, what does integrity mean? <laughs> um so um according to what um Bellevue wrote on theirs um, integrity is um, trustworthy truthful and ethical and and i I know a lot of um, firefighters in departments across the country that would say uh nope not i I don't believe that <laughs> in their own department and um and I think that that's a problem when you are firefighter in a department and that is how you feel about your department and and i and that's not just like on you as the firefighter i mean it's it's like there's you know there's there's something going on and there's a, a disconnect there so um and that can make people feel like they're feel helpless so, um, so that would be one place that I would suggest starting is, you know, looking at your department's um, mission statement and core values. And, um, and you may feel like you're working far afield from that or the department's not living up to that or the, the city, um, you know, whatever, whatever entities are, you know, part of how you operate. Um, and then it's like well what what is the what is the department doing to help you feel supported and um and so that might be where you start to see maybe maybe they do care and they do take care of you um so um so let me let me look at this so the um in this in this article um they use the moral injury outcome scale and um, and they they shared it in the article and so there are five questions about experiencing PTSD like symptoms um, okay and then um, and then you're just saying like yes or no so. Oh, and they are pretty much like it is the PTSD and some of it. So it's like in the past month, have you had nightmares about the event or thought about the event when you did not want to? In the past month, have you tried hard not to think about the event and went out of your way to avoid situations that reminded you of the event or events? In the past month, have you been constantly on guard and watchful or easily startled? in the past month, have you felt detached from people, activities, or your surroundings? Um, In the past month, felt guilty or unable to stop blaming yourself or others for the events or any problems the events may have caused. Um, You know, when I first started in psychology, it's like a lot of people would say no to those things. Um, I mean, particularly Um, You know, like the feeling guilty or unable to stop blaming self or others. Um, Or the feeling detached from people, activities, or surroundings. Um, Definitely they would deny the nightmares. Um, So, you know, like maybe, maybe somebody would say, yeah, they have like events coming up and... And they're having a hard time, you know, not thinking about them. Um, and then and I've heard a lot from people saying that they're on guard, watchful, or easy, not so much easily startled, but definitely on guard and watchful. Um, and so a lot of people were starting to, like, kind of look at, well, have their worldview changed. And um, and. You know, and I've come to understand that there are some pretty key aspects of that that point towards that moral injury and something that we need to address. So, um, so I guess it's like, is this something that you struggle with? Um, maybe it is. Um, maybe some of it, it is, um, maybe, maybe not. Um, it's needing to like ask yourself, um, you know, what is it, what is it that you're experiencing? What is it that you're struggling? Um, you know, and I, I've talked about this, I've talked about it in the past. Um, I think a good tool for asking these questions is to use the rethinking stress um workbook. Um and that's the Stanford Mind Body Lab and it's there. they have a program about um you know short, one hour long program and then it has um a workbook. Um because it does ask you um You know like the first part is like acknowledging that you're stressed or you're bothered um and we don't always know what it is you know some of it may be um you know specific to the call or it may not be the call but kind of the things around it um where um you're not feeling supported or you don't feel like you're backed up or you feel like you're in a position that you shouldn't have been in. Um, And so, you know, it's like, but you have to take the time to kind of explore that. If you're feeling uncomfortable with something, then, then you have to like acknowledge it first off. And that means like sitting with that discomfort. The second thing is to acknowledge, you know, like acknowledge why, you know, like, why does it bother you? You know, it's like the, and the question from the rethinking stress is like, I'm, I'm stressed or I'm into stress because I care about, so you're not upset or experiencing moral injury because you don't care about something. It's because you do care about something. And what you're experiencing is at odds with that. And so that can help you identify that. Um, And then, you know, then that last part of that uh, rethinking stress is utilizing it. And so that's making some meaning. And that's very important in dealing with moral injury because you have to um, figure out how to continue to do a job that you love when it's not um, not what you expected, or it's um, forcing you to to face something over and over again that is um, morally wrong for you or or at odds with your own values, um, it because if you don't, then it can it can definitely lead to burnout. Um, And and disillusionment. And I've seen and heard from a lot of firefighters that are leaving the job because they just truly don't feel like they're making a difference or that they're being cared for. Um, And and I think that there needs to be there needs to be an overall shift. I mean, the the fire service is. Facing a lot of um, a lot of issues that have not been in the scope of what the fire service is, or how it's been defined or how it's viewed, and that means that it has to change. <laughs> and um, and I always mess up the saying, but it's something about the two things the fire service doesn't like the way things are and change um and so you know i think that 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 is something that is is felt very strongly right now and it's and it's true on both sides um so i think that it's like what i've said before which is you know probably an oversimplif- oversimplification um but it's It's not so much what you're, it's not about what has happened, but what you do with it. And that is true, whether it is a traumatic, a straightforward trauma, um, or it's a trauma that has this other layer on it or in it. Which is where your values are being pushed against um, so it is you know what is it, and then what are you gonna do with it um, so um so it's first and foremost, figure out what it is and then and then you need to feel it. And then decide what you want to do with it. Um, I wanted to offer one last thing in all this. Um, a lot of people don't know what their values are, um, so I have um, this. It's a a, va- a values a values manual, and um, and I would say like just um, for anybody listening, um, you know, if you want to identify your values and you're like, I'm not really sure what what those are or how I would describe that, um, you could just Google values and um and, and find a list of values. Um in this values manual that I have it it asks you to pick like your top five. Um <clears throat> and it has a, a list, a, a long list. Um, you know, and I, and I think like when people go into the fire service, I think that their values are in line with the values that are stated, um, on the fire department's website, you know, those values that you're supposed to remember along with the issue, mission statement <laughs> when you're a recruit. Um, but you know, it's like, what are your values? And, um, I always have, when I give this exercise to people, they're always like, um, there's too many for me to pick. Um, like I have too many, I would identify too many. So how can you limit them to five? And, and I would say, it's like, you know, you can, you could pick five. It's like, pick the five, um, the, the five that seem to be true in any setting, um, And, you know, like I'm looking at it right now and the first one I saw is like acceptance. So that's a value. Um, It's a good one to have as a psychologist. Um, mm, What else is there? Um, Probably cooperation. (laughs) Oh, no, I'm going to say connectedness. Connectedness would be another one. Um, So that would be the second one, definitely. Um, Honesty would be one. So it would be three, right? Um, Oh, what would another one be? Um, mm, Responsibility and accountability. That's probably another one. Um, And... uh, um, Mhm wow, there's so many I could pick here <laughs> um, mm, I think um probably um, um, wow, I can't believe I'm having a hard time. There's several that I would say, yes. But um, I'm going to say service, probably service. Um, And there are many, many more. So it's like if I if I'm working in an environment where um, there is a constant, um, like shifting of responsibility or pointing fingers, it's like that would be a place where I would feel really uncomfortable um, because responsibility and accountability is like part of my—that's one of my core values—and um, I, I think, like personally, it's almost to a fault where I might take too much responsibility. And I've actually seen firefighters where that would be something that they experience. So that—that that could be a problem um, in an organization that uh, doesn't doesn't seem to take responsibility or or appear to take responsibility or appear to, um, like, push that to someone else or some other agency. Um, So that that would be a problem. Um, And you can also, like, in this exercise, it's like you could, like, list some that aren't even on this particular list. But if you go online and look up, a list just Google values and you'll find lists multiple lists and um, and identify the five most important ones and then um, and then think about like how that aligns with your job in the fire service and what you're expected to do and and what you thought you would be doing um, and where there is a gap that is where the cognitive dissonances and where that discomfort comes from and uh and then look at that against like the values of the department and and how the department is taking care of its people um and then again it's like then how big is that gap um and then and then you have to figure out how to reconcile that um and, and that can be the hard part because sometimes it's, sometimes it's acceptance. Um, like you accept that that is the way they operate and you know how you operate. And so you try to operate as close to your values as you possibly can. And sometimes that is possible. Sometimes it's harder to do. Um, sometimes it means looking for um, the small part of an event that align with your values and, um, and that, that can be doable and sometimes it, it's not enough. Um, I know, uh, like going on those frequent flyer calls. Um there are times where I would see the same person over and over again and 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 feel- ho- helpless to help and and then the system isn't set up to help either and um and I would feel helpless um and so what I came to understand, you know how I helped to that was to kind of reframe that a little bit um and and realize that. You know, maybe I can't, um, you know, save that person. As far as like, I can't get them to go to treatment. I can't, I can't stop them from trying to basically kill themselves every night with the drug overdose. Um, but when I do show up, I show up and I treat them like a human being. Um, I don't treat them like a call. I don't treat them like they don't matter. I don't treat them, treat them like. Um, I don't care because they don't seem to care about themselves. I treat them like a human being and, um, and I see them. And sometimes that's what, that's sometimes all I could do. Um, and so I guess in a sense, it's like I became a witness to them. <laughs> um, and it doesn't, didn't mean that it, it wasn't still hard but I didn't lose my sense of purpose then, uh, or my um sense of control um and I know that for some people that might not be enough like it's not enough to to be a witness to them. um it's not enough to see them as human um, because there's like other things at play, but um you know it is recognizing like what you can control and not control and then and then decide what you're going to do about that so um, hopefully uh, that uh, that little tidbit will help but um, I think that this is it is a, a definite it's a problem and moral injury is a problem um, it is a part of PTSD often and and it's a part that if it's not recognized, it gets in the way of healing. And so, um, you know, that's if you're at that point where you're experiencing that, um, then, you know, then that's something that will need to be addressed in therapy. Um, if it's something that you're recognizing and you're trying to prevent, um, then, you may find yourself challenged with rethinking um, the reality like what is the reality of the fire service, what is the reality of your job as a firefighter, um, a paramedic, you know whatever your role is um, what are your values, and how can you operate as close to your values as possible um, and and then You know, you're going to have your focus, uh, you know, go out to the big picture, but back into, like, the details. Um, Sometimes the bigger the picture, the more out of control it feels. And so um, that may mean, like, narrowing your focus a little bit. So, but whatever you do, it means, it means... um, sitting with your discomfort and identifying where it's coming from and where you're feeling it and how you're feeling it. And then deciding what are you going to do with it? um, And then ultimately, how are you going to make sense of it? And if you can do that, then you will have a long successful career and, and be pretty healthy. So, um, you know, check out, some of the resources that I talked about. So um, if you go to the Behavioral Health or Firefighter Behavioral Health Alliance, you can look up the white paper that I talked about. Um, It's on Jeff Gill's web, on on the website, the Firefighter Behavioral Health Alliance. And the paper is called (laughs) Wounds of the Spirit. Moral Injury in Firefighters, and you can read that and, um, and then just think about what that means to you and, and how that might apply to you and your department um, and, and, and the people you work with. Um, uh, check out the Stanford Mind Body Lab and look up Rethinking Stress. Um, I think that's a great... Um, a great short program and tool for people who uh, want to process difficult things and then um, you know think about what your values and your core beliefs are and uh, if you have difficulty identifying value words, um, which believe me i did and uh, and and I had to look them up so um you know, it's like there are things that we think we know what they are, but we're we're asked like, well, what are your values? Um, we have a hard time answering that. So, um, you know, look look it up. Just Google values, um, uh, personal values, and I'm sure you'll find several lists. And then um, think about what your values are. What are the most important ones? And then <clears throat> how does that inform what you do um and is that at odds with your department's values and i'm guessing it's not at odds with their values but it might feel like it's at odds with how you see them operating and um and it's possible that they're not operating from their own values or it may just look like that you know i'm not really sure what things are like in your department so um, but this is definitely something that we need to we need to think about, and um, and we need to do something um, our, in ourselves to um, be the healthiest that we can be in our job, and um, and not have to struggle with this moral moral injury. So, hopefully, this has been helpful. And um, thank you for listening. And as I said earlier on, uh, if there's anything that you want me to talk about or um, if you have any questions about anything I've shared, then um, please feel free to email me or, um, or give my office a call. So, again, it's Beth at Integrate. I'm sorry. Let me start over. Beth at IntegrativeMHW.com. And um, and then my office number is 4258, no, what is it? 425-281-7977. Um, so thank you very much for listening. And um, sorry, I was a little shaky at the beginning, but hopefully we got there for you. Um, thank you very much. And um, have a good night or good day whenever you listen to this. And... Uh, And we are out.